welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns, we're talking to Peter Harold, the Managing Director of Emerging Near-Term Nickel Producer, Poseidon Nickel. It's on the ASX as P-O-S. Poseidon is advancing towards the restart of its Black Swan project, where its fill the mill strategy has the company in pole position for a bigger mining inventory to support the restart of the processing plant. A final investment decision is slated for mid-2022, with a commission expected in the first quarter of 2023. G'day, Peter. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Justin. Now, I hear you come from a long line of shoemakers. <laughs> what gave you the inspiration to pursue a career in mining instead of joining the family business? Uh, well, that's that's a very good good question to start <laughs> off with. Look, my, my great-grandfather started Harold Shoes in 1928. My grandfather okay. ran it and my, my dad ran it. And I think it was probably the mid-70s and uh, the... Um, they, they re- removed the tariffs on footwear and textiles and overnight the, the footwear business in, in Victoria pretty much collapsed uh, and my father had to put the business into VA, unfortunately, and then he restarted again um, making a high-quality boot, which is still made today, believe it or not. Is it? At, at, yeah, not in Australia, unfortunately, in Vietnam, um, but uh, the dad was up involved in the business up until about two years ago. But... Um, they, uh, I remember my dad saying to me, oh, Pete, it's a, it's a tough game, this, this shoe business. You probably should go and get a job somewhere else. And so that, that inspired me to go to university. <laughs> well, is, is nickel mining any easier? Uh, that's a good question. And I'd probably say uh, it has its ups and, da- ups and downs <laughs> like, like the shoe business. <laughs> so um, tell us about Black Swan. I understand it is a past-producing nickel mine. Maybe give us a bit of an overview of the history of the operation and why it was placed on care and maintenance back in 2009. Yeah, sure. Well, it, again, sort of a bit of history here. Um, it was actually discovered by a company called MPI, Mining Project Investors, in joint venture with Utukumpu in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually working for that company. I was based in Melbourne then as a, as a corporate um, person. I was a marketing manager. And, and yeah, we discovered the that uh, original ore body, which was called Silver Swan, and uh, we, uh, we were a private company. Utukumpu was a listed company in Finland. They had a smelter and uh, we uh, discovered that in May and we drilled it all body out in six months with two rigs in complete secrecy. No one knew about it. And we came on, uh, we announced to the, I think to the newspapers because we weren't listed at the time in November that we'd made a maiden discovery of 60,000 tonnes of nickel averaging 14%, one of the highest... Mm grade discoveries in an underground mine in the world ever. And mm. uh, it completely bamboozled the market because people were trying to buy shares, but we weren't listed. So it's quite a funny <laughs> time. And in fact, there was a company called yeah. Mount Jersey that was surrounded us. It was run by Joe Gutney. And uh, and all of a sudden, mm. the Mount Jersey shares went from sort of, you know, 50 cents to $5. So it's quite amazing. That was a real neurology play. Anyway, we um, we subsequently developed the mine. Two years later, we, we built a concentrator and a mine, and we started mining that project uh, in 97 in joint venture mm-hmm. with Utukumpu, and I was the guy that sold the concentrate to the Finns. Anyway, we we ran that mine for a couple of years. In 1999, the nickel price got sub-$2, believe it or not. It's about $11 a pound today. 
yeah. and we were, we weren't making any money out of one of the highest grade mines in the world. So we we actually sold it back to the Finns, and then I subsequently yeah. left that left that business and went to other places. And then uh, circle forward, um, that Utukumpu ran that mine for a couple of years, and even though they were probably losing money at the mine, they were making money at the smelter. And, and, and they needed the nickel unit. So they kept running it. And then MPI was able to buy the mine back again um, in about 2003, I think. By then I was running Panoramic and we had a mine up in the Kimberley called Savannah. Um, and I actually tried to buy um, uh, Silver Swan as well, but, but uh, MPI uh, were, were successful. They then subsequently floated. Uh, that company then became MPI Mines and they were then running Silver Swan and it was going along pretty nicely. And then... The nickel boom 2006-07, uh, the price, you know, we remember went up to $20 a pound. And mm. uh, by, by then, um, MPI had been taken over by uh, Lion Ore and then Lion Ore was subsequently taken over by Norilsk. Uh, I'm probably mentioning Russians at the moment. It's probably not a good thing. but, but <laughs> it's Okay, it's all right. Given what's happened in Ukraine. Yes. But the, um, the Russians ran it for a couple of years. Norilsk is one of the biggest nickel producers in the world. And it, th- in those days, they also had ownership of the Harrier Valter smelter. And so they were, you know, it was kind of like um, feed for their business. And then they, the nickel price collapsed with GFC and yes. that project subsequently, you know, ran into trouble. And so in 2010, so fourth owner, or yeah, effectively fourth owner, if you like, MPI, Utukumpu, back to MPI, then um, the, like uh, um, Lion Ore and then it, uh, so it ran effectively from 97 till 2010. And then I think the nickel price was probably around about four or five dollars a pound. And they had, had, had gone from this, the small underground mine with a mill of about 150,000 tonnes that we'd built. They had actually started mining the open pit, which was about 0.7%, but much bigger volume. And they had built a 2.2 million tonne processing plant. So mm. separate to the plant that we had built at MPI, they built a much bigger plant to treat the, the low-grade material. So they were mining the open pit, which is called the Black Swan Disseminated Ore Body, which runs about 0.7. And they were still mining Silver Swan. And by then, Silver Swan had, had been, the, the original ore body had been mined out, the 60,000 tonnes that we had discovered, but they'd found, gone deeper and found more. And so... Over the life of the project, between 1997 to 2010, that 13-year period, nearly 140,000 tonnes of nickel came from the Silver Swan um, high-grade ore body and about 40,000 tonnes of nickel came from the um, open pit. So overall, about 180,000 tonnes of nickel. So a very, very substantial operation. Um, and then, of course, uh, that was put on care and maintenance, in, as I yep. said, in 2010. And they... The, the Finns, uh, the, the Russians then decided to basically get out of Australia. So they started selling everything. And mm. luckily, Poseidon was able to pick up Black Swan plus another one of their assets called Lake Johnson for a very small sum, you know, a million dollars or something, effectively taking on the liabilities. Okay. And really, it was a matter of then just waiting for the nickel price to recover. So that's what's happened. And, yeah. and we're back to, you know, sort of $12 nickel today, yeah. which is incredible. And when you, you plug $12 into the model, it looks a lot better than it's, it's pretty healthy. And where yes. is it? Give us give us a sense of the geography of the place. Where, whereabouts is the mine? So we're about, I think it's 55 kilometres north of Kalgoorlie. So you head out um, past the big the super pit, um, out on the road to Bulong, and then head out towards Kanana Bell. You go past there. 
So you are, you know, right in the middle of the gold fields. Um, but no, the gold fields. What's there? Is there anything out there? Yes, yes. So basically, when the Russians left, they left mm. the, um, the the place fully established. So there was a, a, a full um, processing plant, which today mm-hmm. would cost, you know, I would hate to think, well over two hundred million dollars to replace. It's it's in pretty good condition. And uh, really, yes. And there's the full. There's probably two million dollars worth of spare parts sitting in the in the in the shed. You know, there's mill motors and 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 electric motors. So there's everything that we, you would have for a for full mining operation. There's a, a fully developed underground mine that goes down about 1.3 kilometres below surface, which we started back in 1996, mm. and that's the what they call the Silver Swan decline, and that goes down to the bottom. We've, that's been kept completely dry, so the pumps are running. So we spend about $3 million a year to keep the project on full care and maintenance. And uh, mm. that means that the um, all the mine is dry underground and all the ventilation is on. And we've actually got a draw rig underground at the moment drilling uh, below the open pit. So it's there's about 30 people on site. There's a, a little camp with a, a, a temporary accommodation so people don't have to drive in and out of Kalgoorlie every day. Yeah. And we've got, we've got some drillers there. We've got the... Um, um, you know, uh, site uh, reg- registered site um, uh, managers there. Um, there's a, a a couple of technical people. There's the guy who looks after the pumps, electrical superintendent. Yeah, so there's a, it's a it's it's not operating, but it's obviously as close to as you could uh, to be when you've got an on care and maintenance. And uh, we've got a yeah, we've got a plan to bring it back into production, as you said in your opening. What's it like going all the way down there, one point something k's straight underground? That'd completely yeah. freak me out. It's a bit different than working in a shoe factory. <laughs> Look, it's it's amazing. I mean, it, it's a very well built uh, operation, and 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 mm. uh, it, it was you know it was it was a Rolls Royce operation really when it was, mm. and and it's it's a so the decline it's a it's a um, it's a one in seven decline. So for every one meter uh, vertically, you go seven horizontally. So that's a, that's a reasonably. And you can get them sort of one in five, which is a bit steeper, but one in seven mm. is, is pretty standard in, in, in mining. And how long does it take you to get down there? Uh, well, look, if you're, if you're going, um, so what is it? So one in seven, so it's about 10 kilometres uh, laterally. And yeah. you're, doing, you know, you're doing 20 k's an hour. So, so, you know, take a half an hour to get to the bottom. That's a while. It's not a, it's that's not a quick ride. No, it's not a quick ride. And, and if you're in a truck coming back up, you know, when it's operating fully loaded, and you're only doing six kilometres an hour, it's pretty slow. <laughs> but the ore is very valuable. So, you know, you don't need many trucks every day to make a No. So what are you seeing then in the nickel market, particularly now that gives Poseidon the confidence that it's the right time to be advancing black swan towards production? Well, I think that the big change, Justin, has been historically since, I mean, I've been involved in nickel mining for the best part of 30 years. And Traditionally, nickel, the, the, the dominant use of it was stainless steel. And historically, going back to the 1950s, um, nickel really wasn't used very much until the, the, the world discovered stainless steel. And the standard grade of stainless steel is at what they used to call 1880, which is 18% chrome and 8% nickel. And, and, that's, and there's lots of variations of that. But basically what's happened is since the 1950s, the world discovered stainless steel and its mm. usage has, has grown pretty much compound at 5% per annum since then. So the, as the demand for stainless steel has risen, the need for nickel has risen as well. And when I started in the business you know, 30 years ago, the nickel demand, primary nickel demand was about a million tonnes a year. 
and 700,000 tonnes of that was going into making stainless steel. Today, the primary nickel production around the world, uh, nickel and nickel in, in ferro-nickel and, and nickel pig iron, is about 2.5 million tonnes a year. So it, it's, it's grown substantially. And, but what's changed now is even though stainless steel is growing at that exponential or that 5% compound per annum continues to do, we've got this electric vehicle revolution uh, and the primary or the, the sort of the, the nickel, the, the, sorry, I'll start again, the battery that, that people have landed on for, the, for this generation of electric vehicles is the nickel lithium hydride battery. And so mm. as, a, as a result of that, every electric vehicle or most of them now that have been produced with a nickel lithium hydride battery will have a lot of nickel in them. And the forecast is that, say, for instance, now 2020, two and a half million tonnes a year, by 2050, they're talking about potentially a, a demand for 9 million tonnes a year of nickel. So it's four, fourfold increase nearly. It's, it's the most of all base metals. So what that means is you've, we're going to have to find and develop more nickel mines. And, and to do that, uh, as we've seen in every commodity around the world over the years, the, the, you know, the easy stuff has been got and the, 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 more, the lower grade material you know, requires a higher price for it to be come profitable to mine. So as a result, you know, projects like uh, Black Swan that have been sitting on the sidelines for many years because the grade, the average grade of the open pit and the underground was a bit too low to make money at 5 or $6 a pound. At yeah. $12 a pound, the margins are a lot better. And so now what you're seeing around the world is a, a lot more interest in that space. So there's more money going into the ground to find nickel. And, and, and also there are lots of, well, there's a few projects around that were put on care and maintenance in a lower nickel price environment, um, waiting for, you know, something to change. And now we've had a fundamental change in that demand equation, which is only just starting. I mean, right now, I think the, the demand for nickel in, in batteries this year, you know, or last year was probably a couple of hundred thousand tons. So, you know, you can see the, the enormous growth and you've got guys like uh, Elon Musk saying, you know, please mine more nickel. <laughs> so, you know, when you've got the world's leading electric vehicle manufacturers saying those sort of things, you you, you know, people listen and investors and... It's got to help, yeah. And corporates and everyone, you know, and, and nickel, as you mentioned before, it's, it's it's been a pretty volatile commodity. I mean, I've seen nickel as, at, you know, 50,000 bucks a tonne and I've seen it at $4,000 a tonne. I don't think there's many other commodities that have had that sort of variation in their... <laughs> In their, in their pricing. I think, you're, I think you're right. So I mentioned in the opener your fill the mill strategy. Yeah. Why yeah. is this important to the Black Swan restart? Well, you know, you've, you've got a mill there. So clearly what you want to try and do is work out what's the uh, optimum feed rate. And so you look at your ore body and, you know, we've got two ore bodies. We've got the open pit and we've got the underground. Black Swan is the open pit. Silver Swan's the underground. And what we've worked out is that... Um, by marrying those two together, those two, um, or, or blending those two ore bodies together when you mine them, put them through the processing plant uh, as a blend, you can maximise your um, uh, uh, margin on a, on a per tonne basis through the mill. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, and, and so the mill's there, we can refurbish it. I mean, the, the, the quote we got or the estimate was about $22 million to, to refurbish it versus a you know, replacement cost of, you know, a couple of hundred. So, you know, a tenth. 
Um, mm. And so that means, yes, what, how, do, how do we fill it? So it's clearly we've got some capacity. Let's, and what we're doing is we're actually not filling. The, the, the existing uh, circuit can actually do 2.2 million tonnes, but we just don't really have the, 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 the sort of the all-body size at this stage to, to fill that part of it, the circuit. So what we're going to do, we're going to derate the circuit, just use the semi-autogenous grinding mill, the, the big mill, and that's mm-hmm. about a 1.1 million tonne throughput. So that's our sort of targeted throughput. And so what we're now doing is working out what's, you know, what's the mix of open pit to underground. And it's probably roughly sort of, you know, uh, let's call it a million tonnes of, of open pit material and 50 to 100,000 tonnes a year of, of underground, you know, that order. And we're just working our way now through the, the mining schedules and the metallurgy to sort of come up with a with the 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 the, the right blend and the right yeah. mining schedule, and that'll all feed into the feasibility study, which, as you said, is due out at the middle of the year ahead of the decision to proceed. So look, we're we're progressing well on that. So yeah, fill the mill. Basically, we've got the mill there. Let's fill it up, and if you can fill it, then you're you're. Your, because of your, your your fixed costs are always high in these operations, you know, you'll amortise your fixed costs over a, a higher tonnage and that'll improve your margin. So that's really what it's all about. Have you had much interest from other potential off-takers given uh, the strong demand for nickel? Yeah, look, we have. We, we went out to get some indicative uh, pricing for our feasibility study and we got knocked over in the rush. We probably had... 20 interested parties now let's just just to give you a bit of a landscape there's actually not yep. 20 there's actually not 20 nickel smelters in the world so <laughs> what, what what there is is where were they the north pole <laughs> no, 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 no. there's finland china there's one in western australia in yeah. that belongs to bhp uh, the russians have got one uh, there's mm-hmm. a couple in canada uh, there's a few in africa so look and there's a couple in china as i mentioned but no look what what there is though is there's there's so there are smelter companies that you can deal with direct there are traders who have a book of, of concentrates that they basically right, yep. feed in. And then there are the battery producers who are looking for um, security of supply. And so they're, they're um, investigating ideas where they might basically, you know, do an offtake but then feed that like a trader back back through a smelting system so or a smelting company. So there's, there's, there's quite a number of different players that have entered into the market and so we're dealing with all of them and we've got indicative offers from probably half of them. So, yeah, interesting that there's that much interest around. And it's all about securing, you know, what looks to be fairly limited feed. Mm. So the big question everyone wants answered is yes. when are you anticipating first nickel production? Have you got your crystal ball out and can you yes, yes, let, yes. It, let us know what the timeline is? I've got better than a crystal ball. I've got a Gantt chart, right? Which okay, I, very which good. I refer to, which probably some people would say could be a crystal ball, but <laughs> I, I would say otherwise. It's, there's a fair bit of science going into it. Look, we're, we've, we've adjusted that for, you know, various things and we're now sort of, um, I think we put the latest one out in January and we're saying, um, as you mentioned in your opening, uh, decision to proceed in July and that would mm-hmm. mean first or through the concentrator at the back end of Q1 next calendar year, so sort of, you know, um, March sort of time. We're, we're still holding to that schedule. Look, you know, of course with COVID and the, the tightness in the market and everything else yes. like that, until we pull the trigger in, you know, July, if that's, the, if that's our timing, um, you know, and get, 
you know, contractors and everyone else. But but that looks achievable. Now we 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 haven't had to adjust the the schedule at this point in time. But who knows what happens when the borders open or Omicron spreads yeah. in Western Australia? What what impact that'll have? So. You know, look, I mean, there's always the, you know, we, we've always said with our schedules that's subject to things that we can't control. I, I think accommodation in Kalgoorlie is becoming an issue. I mean, we're, we're talking about building a, yes, it is. I mean, I was told yesterday by uh, the guy that runs the, um, that's our um, site manager, that uh, yep. Kalgoorlie's 99% occupancy, which effectively means there's no accommodation. So... We we were aware of that, and uh, and and we're looking at building a, a camp at, at um, out at okay. uh, Black Swan, which is not what people had done previously. People had driven in and out, which was what we did when we set it up in '99 or in '97. Yeah. But how far but is that? Not, it's, a, not it's, about an, it's about 45, 50 minute yeah. drive. Yeah. So look, the preference for the for the workers is to stay on site because you avoid um, you know that drive each way every day, which yeah, you know which is not insignificant and. At a previous operation that I that I ran, which was Land Frankie at Campbell, but we did a similar thing. We used to drive people in and out in a bus every day, so they they'd have to get up at four, leave at quarter to five. You know, that's it. And then and then the other end of the day, you know, they'd be so they'd be going to work and leaving in the you know and leaving work and getting home in the dark, and and that starts to grate. So we we built a a, a purpose built village at Land Frankie, which was a great. Um, you know, and it improves people's mental health. It's better from a safety of course, perspective. Of course, of course, yes. Off the road. So, look, my preference, you know, always is to have accommodation on site. I mean, it's expensive. I mean, you've got to build a camp and you've got to run it, but it's a it's a much better it's a better safety outcome. It's a better you know it's a better mental health outcome, and um, you know, I, I that's what we that's what we want to do because we think it's a it's a better outcome for our for our personnel. So as you head towards that, that timeline for production, have you um, got a roadmap for your capital requirements and what's needed? Yeah, look, we at this stage, that's what we're working through at the moment. So we, we know obviously that the, the, the refurbishment of the processing plant will be, well, it was slated to be an estimate of $22 million. That's now six months old. So, uh-huh. you know, given the, the escalation in costs in Western Australia, you know, that's, that number will go up. But by how much, I, I don't know yet, Justin. So GR Engineering are doing the work on that and they're, and they're doing that as part of the feasibility study. So that, that number will, be, will become apparent sort of mid-year. Um, but, you know, you've got to expect some escalation on that number given what's happened in the marketplace. So I'm expecting that or we're expecting yep. that and we've flagged that to the market. In terms of operating costs numbers, you know, we had a 26 or we had $30 a, a a ton for operating, uh, and I think that would be come back to twenty six dollars a ton if we uh, can connect up to the grid power, which we believe we can, and we're working with Western Power now to to affect that. Um, but of course, there'll be some escalation in that as well, because you know there's a labour component in there, of course, and and diesel fuel is a component for underground mining, of course, and open pit mining. So we'll if we're connected to the grid, we'll be using grid power, but we'll still need diesel for the trucks and loaders and so on. And then um, you've got uh, the um, cost of, you know, so we'll get a mining contractor to run the mines for us, open pit and underground. So, you know, we'll have to go out and get 
you know, new rates for them, and I imagine their rates will have gone up as well. So, it's it's we we we're not in a position yet to advise the market of what the yeah of course the, the number will be, but it will do that in the feasibility study. But yeah, no, the the great benefit, as I said to you before, is we've got a fully established underground mine. We've got an open pit that that is actually that was stopped in ore, so there's ore in the bottom of the pit, and there's a a, a purpose built. Um, um, processing plant that just needs an up, you know, a, a bit of love. So we're not talking the numbers that you'd be talking about if you were building a brand new project. So we're very lucky, but it's going to be a reasonable chunk of change, and we're going to we'll we'll look at the best way to finance that. Is it? I believe it'll be a combination of debt and equity, and mm. and what the, what the mix of debt and equity will be will will depend on the the forecast cash flows, the life of the project. You know the ability of the of the lenders, and so the the options there are, of course, are the equity market. We go back to our shareholders. You know, um, that mm. that's that's an option, and the other one is a combination of that and and equity and and debt, which I think is our preference. And then the typical in you know lenders would be the resource banks. You know that that are active in this space. Um, there's also the off takers. And, and we've already had indications from a number of the trading companies that they would be prepared to provide financing for the project. Uh, and there's a history of, of the various companies doing that. Even the smelter companies have, have done that in the past. I mean, when we, in my previous job, when we got Savannah going at Panoramic, we, we borrowed some money from Jingxuan. So, yeah, I mean, there is a history of, of, of funding of, of offtake by off-takers for restarts of projects because everyone's desperate to, to get access to the feed. And so... Anything they can do to sweeten up the deal, um, you know. So we're looking at all of those options. So you've mentioned Panoramic and Land Frankie. You've had a lot of experience in this area. What do you think are the key factors that make for a successful operation? Well, look. First and foremost, you've got to have a reasonable ore body, right? I mean, that's the you know. And and my, one of my old bosses, Ken Fletcher, used to always say, "Grade is king." And, and that's very true. So we're very, it's very nice to have the high grade silver swan and golden swan ore. We, we do have obviously, a, you know, a, a high portion of low grade material, but if you can sweeten that up with some high grade, that's nice. Um, you've obviously got to have the right, um, commodity price environment. And, you know, the, the worst thing to do would be, you know, to rush this project into production and then the nickel price collapse. And, and in previous, um, situations with, um, this has happened to Poseidon where they've been racing forward to get a mine, one of the mines going and the price has collapsed. And so the management have made the correct call not, not to restart. And, and that's frustrated some investors over the time, but it was definitely the right decision. And, and nickel, you know, can, can do that to you. But I think we're in a new paradigm for nickel. So I think the, the demand outlook is, is, is definitely robust. And I think that underpins a, a much more, um, sort of longer term, high price outlook than we've had in the past. So that's really yeah. important too. And I think getting the right people. I mean, you know, uh, you can you can have you can you can have an A plus project and a and a B team and you'll end up with a C project. So, you know, one plus one will equal less than one. So we've got to get a good team of people and that will be a challenge in this market. But you know, I've got a black book going back 30 years, so I'll be tapping into that as much as I can. And look, you know, the, the, the project is in, you know, it's close to Kalgoorlie. It's a, it's a people, a lot of people have worked there before and, and have approached us and said they'd like to come back. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll be able to find a, a good team, I believe. Um, but that's really important. So, you know, nickel price outlook positive, um, all body. We've got one, um, lot, 
Life, I hope, we've, I hope we've got a long life project that remains to be seen yet, but we're looking to, to, to deliver that. And, you know, then obviously um, a, a low capital restart. So that's good. Yes. Um, a, a good off taker, you know, a solid off take partner um, and, a, and a, an appropriate financing structure, the, the appropriate mix of debt and equity. And, you know, above and, I mean, above and beyond all of that, we've got to have a good team. You know, we've got to have, we've mm. got to find, we've got to find the A team for this project. Um, and uh, that's what, you know, we've just uh, announced that we've got a new GM mining starting next week. So we're, we're looking, we're, we're um, currently recruiting for a GM uh, geology. So we're starting to fill in the, 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 the gaps in the... The wheels are moving. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's all takes time, but, but you know, it, you've got to, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's really the, the classic American adage. You've got to, you've got to, what do they say? Well, the Americans, you know, sort of have a different model, but I, I think we've got to just take it slowly, but methodically and just work our way that the Americans sort of, uh, you know, they've got this sort of adage of, you know, just um, hire and fire quickly. I think, you know, in this market, we've got to basically just take our time, find the right people and um, the nickel price looks good. So yeah, um, we just don't have to rush it. Yeah. We're doing it, we're going, we're going, when we're going as fast as we can, but yeah. you know, we, we, we don't want to we don't want to cut any corners here because that could be that could be dangerous. So we just got to make sure that we get all the metallurgy done, all that that we've got all the you now we know what the concentrate's going to look like. We get the right buyer, um, you know, because you know the, the cost of freight is expensive. And will your nickel attract a higher premium from buyers? Uh, not necessarily. Um, the the option we do have, though, is that there is talk about people building these um, pressure oxidation plants, and mm. that's you know the new technology rather than going through the smelting route. So, okay. If, and there's a there's a group that's looking at building one in, in Campbell, sorry, in Kalgoorlie called Pure Battery Metals. If those guys got their project off the ground, and I think they probably will, then there is the potential that they could actually. Um, pay a higher percentage of the contained nickel in the concentrate. So there's the there's the upside for us mm. in in, a, in a, as opposed to going the traditional smelting route where the payabilities are still very good. You know they're they're, they're pushing up into the high seventies these days. But uh, um, but but the guys that have the or the people that have the pressure oxidation plants with the the battery PCAM attached to it could well pay higher than that in, a, in in the right environment. So there's a big opportunity around that that we're investigating too. Final question, Peter. There's been increasing nickel consolidation in WA in the market there in particular with recent activity like IGO's $1.1 billion cash takeover play for Western areas. So do you see M&A activity continuing to rise in the sector? And if so, do you think Poseidon could be a potential target? Uh, yes, and absolutely. I mean, you know, there's no question if you go back to 94, 95, I mean, MPI gets taken out by Lion or Lion gets taken out by Norils for $7 billion. Avery gets taken over by Zinefex for a billion dollars. Um, Glencore takes over Jubilee for uh, $2.5 billion. There were some massive transactions in nickel. Inco gets taken over by Falcon Bridge. Uh, no, got taken over by um, Vale. Uh, the um, Falcon Bridge got taken over by Glencore. I mean, there was huge transactions and the entire nickel space, Western Mining, got taken over by BHP. So the entire world nickel market just changed. The ownership of pretty much everything changed. In, and I, you could see that happening again, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some companies out there with some massive 
uh, amounts of cash on the balance sheet and their, yeah. invest, their investors are wanting them to grow their businesses. So you, I, I absolutely see activity in the sector, you know, and we're probably, when you look at our market capitalization, you know, $300 million, it's relative to some of our peers. I mean, Panoramic closer to 600 now, but they're operating again. Um, yep. Mincor, 900, nearly a billion dollars. You know, based on what we've got, we've got 400,000 tonnes of nickel in resource. We've got two plants. You know, we can get those plants going again for a relatively small amount of money as opposed to building a new plant. You know, we're a, we're a much easier sort of uh, restart into production at both those sites. And we haven't even talked about Lake Johnson. So, uh, yes, absolutely, and I think that that Poseidon is a, is 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 very vulnerable because you know we've we've still you know relatively inexpensive compared to our peers. Definitely a company to watch. Peter Harold, MD at Poseidon Nickel. Thanks so much for joining me today, and all the very best in the future. Yeah, thanks very much, Justin. 